through all of this, I don't know that this would have ever happened. And it was just really cool to hear one of my listeners listen to your stuff and then reach out with this idea. And then it actually came to fruition. And, you know, I'm going to make some decent money doing this project with him. And I'm, I'm really energized and excited by it, which is really important to me. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Port Wine, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, we are checking back on the three companies from the Noah's Ark of Business episodes. Y'all went crazy about these. This is one of our most popular episodes in the past few years, and I'll definitely do more of them for you where we dissect and give actionable advice for businesses. If you want your business checked out in the future, go to submit yourself, okdork.com slash Noah's Ark. The companies we're checking in with today, there's three of them. Number one is Museum Hack, who got stuck at $2.7 million, and what did he do to change that or not? Two, Taylor, who didn't want to quit his high-paying job to be a poor podcaster. And number three, Ammon, who was struggling to grow his 180 light headlamp business. I was definitely surprised and happy to hear the results, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with you and the rapid learnings that you can do to improve your own business. In this conversation, you're going to learn three major things. Numero uno, why Museum Hack is going big on profits and not on revenue, and what exactly did they change? Number two, how Taylor bagged his first consultancy job. And number three, what Ammon did to earn himself a bucket load of cash. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more surprises along the way. Enjoy. Before we jump into the conversation, if you run a Shopify store, email me, shopify at okdork.com. We have this brand, brand new thing that is doubling or more people's email marketing revenue. There is no cost. I'm looking for beta testers. So if you have a Shopify store, email me, Shopify at okdork.com, and we will help you out. Also, a special pre-show shout-out to listener Scott Kilmartin from Australia. He left an iTunes review saying, Great interview with Alan Weiss. Oh, yeah. Thank you for your feedback, homie. And I love seeing your guys' reviews and giving you shout-out on episodes. I check every single one. So go leave an iTunes review, and I will do a funny accent of your review. So, Michael Alexis of museumhack.com, what were some of the takeaways? What did you end up doing? What did you learn? And what are the results? Let's hit it. Okay, I'm going to dive right in. We talked about a lot of stuff in my former call. I can go through them one by one. What happened since then and the results. So, number one biggest thing was uh, your advice just set a more ambitious goal. We had done $2.8 million last year, $2.7 million in revenue the year before. And this year, we had set the not ambitious goal of about $3 million. Your advice was like, hey, why not just ramp it up to spur some creativity in your team? And uh, myself, of course. So I came away from that call thinking, oh, we're definitely going to set a revenue goal of 3.5 million. That's not what happened. I talked with our CEO, I talked with our team, and we thought that setting a profit goal, uh, a more ambitious profit goal makes more sense with where we're at with the company and our finances, etc. That number, I think, is about 40% higher than it was last year. So That has a couple of implications for us. One, uh, we certainly need to grow revenue to make that happen. We need to bring in more leads. We need to bring in more sales. It also means we need to do it in a certain way that there are kind of growth strategies available to us where we just hire, 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 spend, spend, spend to make what could have otherwise been that additional $700,000 in revenue to get to $3.5 happen. Instead, we're training our team in decisions to make profit. So for example, looking at what we've got in software providers, seeing what's essential, also looking at which channels we have available to us to spend money in a way that will be effective. Let's just stick on that just for one second. So I went to Eamon, Eamon runs AppSumo.com. And I said, Eamon, let's grow revenue. And he's like, I only care about profit. And I was like, damn, you're good. 
And so I really love, and I just want to highlight that you came back and said, I don't care to make more revenue. I care to come back and actually increase the thing that matters most. So I think I want to say that that's congratulations and that not congratulations. I think it's just awesome that you guys recognize that. And so can you just be more a little bit more specific? So how are you guys going to increase your profit or decrease your cost specifically? Because it sounds like you're not going to try to increase your revenue more. Yeah, a couple things going on. We already have been operating fairly lean. We used to have a larger team. Labor cost is by far our largest uh, expense each month or investment each month. And as folks have left Museum Hack for whatever reason, we've found other ways to have either the existing team absorb what they do or to automate parts of what they were doing, or maybe some of them are stopped what we're doing. Another part of that is getting a lot more focused in what we take on. Another part of the advice that you had for us was double down on corporate. I would say that before that call, if somebody had asked me the growth strategy for Museum Hack, I would have 100% said we're doubly down on corporate. What I wouldn't have said was the part that you got to, which was it needs to be the exclusion of something else related to the cost, because it means that there's a lot of things that we were doing before and otherwise had planned for this year that are not particularly high margins. Some of them are no margins. Some of them were just like, become better known in the industry. A blog story content, for example, uh, we invested a lot, a lot last year of time and money writing stories on our blog that were like cool people from history. There's one about a lady who was Hypatia, who was uh, an early Greek philosopher and mathematician and a lot of cool stuff. It's a great story. It was really popular. It got shared all over the internet. I don't think it made us anybody. So working through uh, everything that we have to really focus on the items we know that give us more corporate leads uh, and more corporate sales. Another example of making a kind of for-profit decision is the second brand uh, or second service that I told you about, which was the guacamole competition, which we have had a lot of interest in. It's kind of exciting how, uh, how excited America is to do guacamole competitions with their team. And not everybody has the budget to work with us. We've made it more cost-effective than Museum Hack. Uh, it's also leaner for us to run, but we're certainly not undercutting ourselves. We're turning away a lot of work and just doing the deals that are at the price point that we want to sell them at, which allows them to be kind of high margin and profitable for us. So it sounds like to increase your profit, you're taking on some of the guacamole people, yes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The ones that match the price point that makes sense for us. Another quick example would be the ad spend, now spending ads on keywords that I know deliver, and also kind of optimizing for cities where we already have staffing. I know it's like difficult to talk about what's cutting our managing costs. Like some of it's using our existing resources better to produce more revenue or to produce more outcome. Uh, another one is uh, you had talked about having a better scorecard or dashboard. Uh, you mentioned a book that you love take care of the score, the scoreboard will take care of itself, something like this. Yeah, the score will take care of itself. Right. And we've put that together in a way that lets us have controllable inputs. So things like the cold outreach being done to a certain quantity volume every week, things like having a certain cadence, one article per week of SEO content going out, and those are being done. And I expect we will see results from them because we've seen results from them in the past. 
related to ad spend, I was very resistant to this. On the call, you said like, hey, you guys should be buying ads. This creates predictability for your business. And we used to run a lot of them. We used to spend about $10,000 a month on ads. And one day I shut them off and was super excited at the result, which was we didn't seem to immediately lose much in volume of leads and or the revenue that came from that. I've been experimenting for the last month with running ads in a way that I think is a good balance between your suggestion and creating that predictability and being willing to spend and invest in it and my kind of caution and success from that previous experiment. So we've been spending more like 600 to 1000 a month, which is up from 300 what it was before. I expect I'll continue to push it higher in the next month or so because I am seeing positive results. And what I'm doing is one, focusing on the keywords that I know deliver, and two, focusing it selectively on cities where we have additional opportunity and capacity. One example is Los Angeles, where we do offer private and corporate tours. In Los Angeles, I think it's the only city where we don't rank on the first page of Google for the most important keywords we've got. We're the second page. So those ads have made a difference. Uh, It's been a small handful of leads with that relatively modest budget, but another four or five leads there, another couple of deals. One thing I just want to highlight there, and this is something Adam Gilbert always talks to me about, mybodytutor.com, which is that all of us sound like you and, and myself as we do something that helps us get somewhere and then we stop doing it. Possibly. I think we're fairly good with consistency, but there's certainly examples of successful processes that we've dropped that ought to have continued. Well, I think just interesting because you guys reduced your ads where now it sounds like you're putting it back up and it's already kind of increased for you. Yeah, we're certainly seeing the results from it. I think the the lesson there was that I didn't need to do a blanket cut of all ads, even though it felt great to get rid of that $10,000 per month expense. It was at the cost of the areas where it was performing and needed a little bit too broad. I don't think, for example, that continuing with a $10,000 ad spend now would be a good idea for us. But there's probably a sweet spot around maybe it's like $2,000 where we can get uh, the best of it. Yeah, I think that I wasn't saying that you guys stop completely. But I think for a lot of us, it's like, hey, if it's working, can you do more of it? And if it's working, don't stop it. We've had a couple of other things that have been just kind of done, completed, and yet to see the result. It's just the subscriber referral request email, everybody's coming into our public audience, being able to see that, set it up, uh, it's running. Because there's like sort of a delay on email, we aren't seeing uh, a huge result from it yet, but I expect more uh, in the months and years to come. A couple of cool process changes. You had talked about with how at AppSumo and Sumo, you'd work in cycles. I believe they were either four weeks or six weeks. And we've adopted the same so that kind of these new measures we've taken on are in a four-week cycle at the end of that, planning to do another kind of deep dive analysis into what is working, what is not, and readjust for the following four weeks or or month cycle. Uh, I'm excited about that. A big one from the call, one that I've mulled on the most was the idea of Michael, me, as an entrepreneur as opposed to a growth hacker. I think that me operating as a growth hacker has done a lot for Museum Hack and is doing a lot for kind of the sub-brands that we're creating. And I was struggling with it because I know that the work that I do is effective. 
when I code the website, when I do the emails, when I run the ads, when I do this and that, it creates a great result. That certainly doesn't mean that others don't. I rely on a team a lot. We have great people that work with. We have a marketing manager who works under me. We have content people. We have folks that do PR. We have folks that help with SEO, et cetera. And the entrepreneur versus the growth hacker, I'm excited to move more towards the entrepreneur because I see it as a couple of things. One, continuing to give my team higher and higher level work, training them up, helping them be successful in their careers and being able to produce those same or maybe even better results without me being the one that uh, literally does the work. The line that resonated with me the most, not word for word, but you said something like, you know, if you want to do the coding, if you want to do whatever we want, that's great, but you're probably going to continue having like small media business. If you want to be a $10 million business, you can't be the one that does the work. And thinking of it that way, you know, I do want to have a much larger business. I want to get to five million. I want to get to ten million in revenue uh, and the correlated profit uh, be the big part. And so, what specifically are you going to keep doing? What are you trying to delegate or stop doing? A handful of things. So, one example would be kind of link building and SEO stuff. In the past, we've had a lot of success with a strategy, for example, with. Uh, something I call share the love, which is just reaching out to all of your service providers, all of your vendors and saying, hey, you know, we reached this milestone in our business, $1 million, $2.5 million, whatever it is, your sales platform or organization tool or labor management, whatever it happens to be, was a big part of that. Uh, Here's an example. Would you be interested in doing a case study about us on your site? Uh, That's been successful in the past for us. Link building also traffic building for pretty relevant audiences to get folks to us. That is something that in the last week I delegate to the team. And they're certainly more than capable of taking it on and seeing the same success. There's uh, another small example where with the guacamole brand, we've been experimenting with uh, alternative ways for people to sign up as leads and get the information. So thegreatguacoff.com slash calculator is more or less a lead form, but with all of our pricing built in, so somebody can go through and make their selections. Oh, I want a swag bag with it. I want additional snacks. I want this many people to be able to attend, and I'll output the number. One thing that that I kind of noodle on with this is, when should people extend to new product lines based on opportunity versus like continuing the main business? And I don't know the right answer. It's like, you know, when should you literally have Museum Hack worldwide Versus starting basically a lower priced offering, which is what you're doing with the great guac off. It's a good question. It's one that we've thought a lot about. Uh, I expect it would differ by industry and circumstance. One thing that we found is that our best clients, kind of the that have the highest budgets of their own, will work with us once, but we struggle to get repeat business, with the exception of a few that send kind of new groups of interns or new groups of employees on with us. And it's possible that other industries might be different, but in ours, that's kind of a common thread, that if you were to talk to uh, other corporate team building providers. So I assume what you're getting at is that like Museum Hack as a global company, a global brand on its own would be worth a lot. We're not giving up on that as much as we are finding additional ways to serve our existing customer base uh, that I think will help us get Museum Hack 
to that level and scale as well. One cool thing that came from the call was that a bunch of people from uh, your audience, Noah, reached out both to myself, to Tasha, uh, I think to Nick Gray as well. And there was one in particular that was super helpful. Uh, he was an SEO guy, I think. I think he was German, but he reached out with really specific advice. He's like, hey, here's a bunch of keyword analysis that I did. Here's a spreadsheet. It's got some numbers in it, a volume that you could expect to see. And uh, it was a very good reminder to go back and kind of update our landing pages. In the p- About uh, two or three months ago, I had experimented with it. And I mentioned this on the previous call that I was like, I'm going to get the words like corporate events in there and some others uh, and make it awesome. I was like, hey, we're going to get to the very first spot on Google for all of these searches. Uh, And that wasn't the case. What happened was that with my over-optimized title, people stopped clicking on it and we ended up on page like two or three or something. Uh, It was rough because we stopped getting most leads from those pages that I tested on. And I, to fix that, kind of fully reverted back to the original version and they did rise up again. Uh, With the reminder from your audience member to revisit it, I've gone back to those pages. I've made more subtle changes. The keywords are now there that need to be, uh, and we're seeing the results increase instead of decrease. So uh, while I forget his name, thank you so much, uh, Noah, audience member. That's kind of an interesting thing where what I've noticed from the people I love to hire or work with is that they're not emailing saying, hey, can I help you with something? Or hey, I just, you can say, hey, I like Museum Hack. But it's, hey, here's something that I think you should do that'll make your business better or that I've already done for you. So, dude, that is awesome. And I, well, I think that is a great point, which is like, I do recall the, I don't remember his name, but he sent me, he's like, hey, here's just SEO things because I like Museum Hack and I want to help. And I think that's a great way, one, either to A, to connect with people that you want to meet or B, if you want to get a job, instead of applying with a resume, go and actually do some work. Another great example of that was that Nick Gray, our founder, was on uh, Mixg.com about, uh, maybe it was a year and a half or two years ago. And similarly, somebody had reached out from Mixtree's audience. Uh, his name was Dan Sure, He's an SEO guy. He's awesome. We've consulted with him since then because his first outreach was super cool. He had some great advice for us. We saw the results from it and on subsequent calls, all of which have been paid, we've been super happy to invest in it because we know that he helps get us results. Awesome. Any things that did not work or stuff you were like, hey, we did not do it? One very small example, you suggest going to our existing email list and saying, hey, people that have done Museum Hack with us want to do the walk off with us. We've been reaching out to that audience with additional pushes for Museum Hack instead, knowing that it's still kind of the existing core brand that we have, knowing that it is higher deal value and still a little bit higher margin than the second option is. So uh, we will do that other outreach, but not yet. And that was actually great pushback from our sales manager. She said like, look, Michael, we could do this big push for the new company. I want to do the push for Museum Hack first because these are the deals that I think we can work best over the summer. How did you go back and talk to your team? Because obviously they heard some private stuff potentially. and, And how did you go back and actually discuss changes with them? We have a weekly or twice a month call scheduled where we go over stuff like this and everybody's very open to it. So we put stuff on the agenda, we chat. That was where we talked about focusing on 
profit. That's where we actually talk about profit numbers and make sure everybody's on the same page. We invite additional people to that call, other stakeholders on the team that would be relevant for. For example, if we are going to push for much more rapid growth, it's not just the marketing and sales team. It's also our operations that's going to need to be prepared for it. Tangential to that is that we've refocused on needing to hire fairly aggressively uh, in our existing cities and new cities where we operate. So Tasia, the CEO of Museum Hack and I are traveling right now. She's doing hiring and training in, uh, we just came from San Francisco. We're currently in San Diego. Hey, our next stop is Austin, Texas, where we're going to do a hiring round as well and already have a couple of events planned and booked. So our first two Austin events ever happening in the next two weeks. Awesome, man. Any other takeaways or advice in the next minute that you want to share? The biggest thing out of all of it was uh, a mind shift back towards growth. I think mostly from that more ambitious goal, but towards working through all the challenges that come with it. I think having a nearly $3 million a year business is comfortable, something that was a great result, something that we are proud of, but reignited. Thanks to Noah to work towards a much larger target. It's not thanks to me. I just basically repeated stuff you said and, and took credit for it. So <laughs> uh, you can keep taking credit if you want. No, it was all you guys, man. It was all you. And it was just being able to, to highlight things that are working and reminding. The one thing I would say for you guys, which is, I wouldn't say unique, but is a great position to be in that I believe other businesses are missing out is that you have a product that is desirable. And that makes all the marketing and sales and running the business a lot easier to accomplish. And that's something that, you know, I'm reminding myself with our companies and other ones I meet. It's like, how are you making something that's crazy desirable? The more that you focus on that, the more uh, I think the marketing, all these other things are going to be easy for you or easier. (laughs) Easier, certainly. Uh, Yeah, we work hard at it, but I think we are kind of blessed with that great product and already great reputation um, to have people keep spreading the good word for us. All right, brother. We'll keep it up. Keep rocking. I look forward to, to see Museum Hacking, the great guac off. What's it called? Thegreatguacoff.com. All right, y'all. Take care, Michael. Thanks, brother. Bye. All right. I'm going to do Taylor next, and then I'm going to save Eamon for last. Taylor, give me something good. I'm here. Yeah, let's start with something good. So one thing that we didn't talk about during our, our interview together was this other podcast that I have. It's a marketing podcast for other financial advisors, and it's growing pretty rapidly here out of the gates. Um, we've talked a lot about sumo.com and advisors are really benefiting from that. But one of my advisor listeners listened to our interview together on your podcast, and he reached out and he's like, dude, I think you're onto something here with this advisor marketing stuff. You're really good at it. I've really benefited from your podcast. Like, maybe you should forget about monetizing this whole stay wealthy platform. And maybe you have an opportunity right here in front of you. I'd like to hire you and pay you money over the next few months to consult and work with me and help with my marketing. And you can use that as, you know, kind of a a training ground and, and see if that's something that you want to pursue and maybe use as your secondary source of income. So as of yesterday, we've agreed on, you know, kind of terms of the whole deal. In a perfect world, I'd, I'd probably charge a lot more than I am, but I think this will be a good learning experience for me. I'm going to take really diligent notes and just identify if it's something I want to repeat and, and continue to do long term. But I guess the big news is, is that you know through all of this, I don't know that this would have ever happened. And it was just really cool to hear one of 
my listeners listen to your stuff and then reach out with this idea. And then it actually came to fruition. And, you know, I'm going to make some decent money doing this project with him. And I'm, I'm really energized and excited by it, which is really important to me. That's awesome. How would you have gotten the project otherwise? I guess if I realized, hey, this is something I really want to pursue, I probably would have like made an announcement on the podcast and said, hey, I'm going to do some consulting work. If you're an advisor and want some help, you know, reach out to me. Let's put something together. And, and I'm sure that would have worked. I just don't know if I would have like come up with the idea because when I started the advisor podcast, I said to myself, like, kind of like the stay wealthy thing, like, I'm not going to monetize this. I'm just doing this for fun. I'm just going to put this out there into the world and see what happens. But like over and over again, I just had advisors reaching out, emailing me, asking for help. And I was just kind of donating my time. And I guess that's one thing I've learned about myself through all this is like, I just keep donating my time and doing stuff for free. And I think there's something to that and adding value without expecting anything in return. But kind of the universe just kind of kept coming back to me. And then finally, this advisor is like, dude, I want to pay you real money to help me. Let's do this. And I said, all right, it's time to actually give us some real consideration. And so I'm not sure that I want to do one-on-one -on -one consulting one at a time. I'm not sure if that's something that interests me, but perhaps there's a way to get a bunch of advisors together and you know, help more than just one advisor at a time. So it sounds like just taking a step on this is that number one, if you have an audience or if you've been sharing content on Instagram or podcast or blog or YouTube, and you're a little bit nervous about what to sell or how to monetize it, just tell people like, hey, I'll, if you like what I'm talking about, like pay me a little bit of money and I'll help you do this stuff for yourself. It sounds like that that's what you're recommending for yourself. Yeah. And I mean, kind of the second thing I learned through all this, one of your recommendations on the Stay Wealthy podcast was, why don't you offer, you know, three free consultations to listeners and do some consulting work for them, you know, give them an hour of your time, do an investment analysis for them. And then once that's all done, send them an email with a link saying, hey, you know, pay me for what you think this time was worth. And so it was kind of the opposite. It wasn't like, hey, pay me for a consultation. It was like, I'm going to do this for you free and then you can pay me what you think it was worth. So I did do that. I followed through on that episode 47 of the Stay Wealthy nice. podcast. If somebody wants to go back, it's in the very, very beginning. So if you want to hear how I kind of pitched it to the listeners, but that's exactly what I said. I, you know, I said, I just want to help people. And it, immediately I had just a flood of emails from listeners. So I chose the top three. I've taken them through that process. I have my first consultation uh, today, actually. One of the downsides to that is I realize it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to grab the listener, develop the process, have them upload their statements, schedule a time to talk to me, get our calendars to match up. You know, I got to do a little bit of work behind the scenes so that the time is valuable together. So it took like four to five weeks to kind of get this whole thing like actually live. But I have my first consultation today. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what they pay me, if anything, you know, a lot of kind of podcast listeners just are out there for free information, which is great. And so they may not pay me anything. But in the future, just because I learned how much work is involved, I'll probably do it a little bit differently and say, hey, I've got three consultation spots open, I'm going to charge $7,500 for each consultation, you know, take it or leave it and really make it worth my time. And that'll be another interesting experiment to see if anybody would really take me up on that. That's something that a lot of people, especially starting out, including myself, we feel self-conscious asking for money for what we're providing because we don't really know it's worth. Even if it's super valuable, we're self-conscious. And so I always like, hey, if you're really self-conscious to do it for free. And then over time, theoretically, if you're so busy doing the free stuff, you eventually are like, I can't keep doing it. I need a little bit of money for it. And then eventually you should be get, you can get to a point like million dollar consulting, like Alan Weiss, where you're saying, hey, I'm going to be creating X amount of value for you. You should be able to pay me some small amount of that. And Neville, you know, one of my good friends on copywritingcourse.com with two Ks, what he does is every Tuesdays, 
he'll do consulting calls and he has you know a calendly or schedule thing where there's three blocks and they're $600 per hour and it's just every Tuesday that's when he's available for that. And so I like the idea for you which it sounds like is test it out see what how it goes and then potentially make it something that you do on a regular basis. In one way or another I'm going to pursue this because the other thing that I looked into as a result of our conversation was advertising for the podcast and there's just not that much money. Well, number one like I don't have a huge listenership. I mentioned that we have, you know, about 13,000 downloads in the month of May. That really only translates to like 50 bucks or $100 per episode in the advertising world. I don't have that big of an audience to actually monetize it through that medium. So I don't think advertising is really the way to go about it. And then after just digesting our conversation, I thought like, these are my listeners. Like I built this audience. I don't really want to sell somebody else's product or site or service. I'd rather, you know, use this platform to sell my own service or consulting or product or whatever it might be. So I just scrapped the whole advertising thing, especially with how quickly people jumped on the consulting offer. Again, I'll evaluate that process when it's done and you know think about doing that again. Or this advisor thing, again, is really going well so far. And perhaps that's the better avenue for me going forward. Let me just highlight one thing that, that you did. And that's, I think people wonder sometimes when they're starting businesses or they're starting new like product extensions or ventures, is that you kind of know when you did something that people want. So what I mean by that is that when you put out this request, and obviously it was free, but you said, hey, I'll do a consult. You said you got flooded. And I love that word. And that is what I believe people need to be doing when they're experimenting with services or software or whatever you know physical product that they're creating where people are saying, can I have that? Give me more. I want it. Versus the opposite, which is the push of saying, oh, you should buy this. You'll need this. Like I'm guessing you noticed that when you, when you put this out there to the world. Yeah. And that was one of my big takeaways from you because, you know, I thought like, do I just kind of keep building the audience or building my email list and then someday monetize it? But you just made a really good point. You're like, how do you know they're going to want that thing? You know, whatever you're building towards, how do you know they're going to want it? So I really, really enjoyed this idea of like, why don't you just test it? Why don't you like give it away for free and see what happens? And, you know, then you can adjust and pivot from there. So that was a huge takeaway from me, especially because I'm just I've been really nervous to like monetize this stuff. I don't want to disrupt anything. I don't want to, you know, sound salesy or gimmicky or anything like that. So it was just a really, really good. I mean, the minute you said it during our interview, I'm like, yes, like I can do that. I love it. What else? The last one really was, you know, I came into this whole thing wanting to monetize this podcast platform. And then we started talking about my financial planning firm, Define Financial here in San Diego. And you're like, hey, this thing is working. Like, why don't you just keep building that? Why don't you have, you know, maybe hire somebody to come in and, you know, take over the CEO role so you can continue doing the things that you're good at. So I just want you to know that I took that really, really seriously, although it wasn't something that we initially planned on talking about. I did take it really, really seriously. Number one, I decided that it's just not feasible and it's just not really desirable for me to actually go and hire a CEO or, or you know, replace me in that position. Neither is like promoting one or two of my employees into that role. It's just not really for them, not a knock against them. It's just not a fit. But I think maybe one of the, the best solutions, if I do make a change with my financial planning firm, would be to you know, merge with a larger firm, kind of tuck underneath them, let them take over all the back office operations and all the you know, C-suite CEO type stuff. And kind of create time and space for me to work on the things that I really enjoy doing and spending time on things that I'm really good at. So there are a couple firms that I, I highly respect, I have a lot of respect for. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around ever doing this because I came from the corporate world. And I'm like, I'm never going back. I'm always going to own and operate my own business. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. But there are a couple firms out there that I highly respect. And if I were to ever do something like this, 
it'd be one of those, you know, two firms. And so I am in just some discussions just to kind of learn and see if there's some synergy there. It's going to be a really long due diligence process. I'm in no rush to do anything, but I think I owe it to myself to just consider it and learn more. In the past, I've just said, you know, people have approached me. I said, just leave me alone. Like, I'm just doing my thing here. You know, I'm not interested in anything like that. But it kind of keeps coming back around to me. And I'm like, you know what? I owe it to myself to really give this some careful consideration. I'm at a really kind of pivotal point in my career here. And I've got, you know, two kids and a wife who just left her job. And, you know, everything's kind of on me at this point. So I think I, I, again, I owe it to myself to really consider this. So I'm taking it really seriously. I'm having those conversations. I probably won't have an update for you for, you know, six months or so, but that's where I'm at with it. One thing I want to highlight is that I don't know everything and I make, I'm still making a lot of mistakes and it's my experience that I'm having and you're having your own. And, you know, you have to come to those conclusions at the right time when it is right. I think the thing that I, I commend you for is at least exploring it. And to me, intelligence is like, how are you taking inputs from different sources and filtering it through to make a decision that, that you believe is best for you? So that's good for you to, to think about. Is this the right thing? And it doesn't sound like right now, but you're at least aware of it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And again, like it was just a good nudge from you. And I mean, I've had nudges along the way, but it was like finally like, okay, I think I do need to take this serious. And I told my wife, I'm like, I can't even believe that I'm even exploring this right now. But if anything, I'm going to learn a lot through the process. And at the end, I might just know that I'm in the right place. Like, you know, I don't need to make a change. So I appreciate you challenging me and, and kind of pushing me to explore and, and, and see what else is out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at selling our company, Sumo, uh, a while ago, and part of me was like, well, I don't want to really work for anyone else. And this is really the stuff I, I get to hang out with you guys, and we get to do marketing tools, and we get to promote software for you know, help small businesses get Sumo size. I'm like, it's pretty much all I want to do. But it was I needed to go out and kind of and, and have that reminder. Yeah, exactly. Dude, good on you, man. Any other uh, anything else? Nothing else. I just I'm really fired up about this, you know, op- this kind of bonus opportunity that came out of this whole thing you know, which is this advisor marketing stuff, which I'm, I just geek out over every single day and I'm really excited and energized by it. So, you know, the, the result of this whole project and experiment with you, like it might just turn into something that neither of us really even expected. So it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you, you having me on. And, you know, like um, Michael said, your audience is great. I got a lot of listeners reaching out to me offering to help. So it's really cool. You've, you've got some really great listeners and really smart people. And yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I would argue they're the best. The best. Dude, it's so cool. I found one, people who listen to podcasts in general are wealthier and impressive. Just people that I've met. I'm like, oh, you listen to podcasts? I'm like, yeah, I could tell. And it's amazing the the people are supporting each other. So I, that, that's great to hear. And awesome for you, man. I appreciate you sharing things and, and best of luck on your adventure. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, brother. Ammon, what's good, man? Hey. I'm pumped to hear your voice and uh, how things are going. Likewise. It was a great month for me. One of the coolest things that happened was we talked about sending out an email to survey to try to figure out exactly where the audience was, what they were using the product for. And I got all the results of that over the last weekend. And that was cool. Very enlightening. A little different than I expected. Two questions was all it was, was to figure out where they were using it and how they heard about the product. And so the primary areas... Actually, the number one area was different than I expected. 32% of the people use it for running, which I expected it to be closer to like 10, 15% maybe. And that was the highest quantity of people was runners, which was, again, surprising to me. Second area was for camping, hiking, rock climbing, backpacking, outdoor recreation stuff. That is the area that I thought was going to be the biggest. That came in at second at 26%. And then work professionals, so anything from like electricians to HVAC, elevator repair, whatever, 
that came in at 22%. And then 15% was home projects. And then there was that final chunk of the pie was just other random things, everything from like farming to gardening to emergency response, all sorts of good stuff. That was, like I said, not what I expected. So that was really cool. And then the other question being, how did they hear about the product? 39%, the biggest chunk was from Kickstarter going way back to 2016 when the Kickstarter was done. Still almost 40% of people, that's where they're getting information from about the product, which was honestly surprising. I mean, I knew it would be up there, but that was higher than I expected. 37% was word of mouth, 9% internet search, which honestly surprised me because I really have not done anything to promote any kind of SEO or internet search outside of a few months of some ad buy. And then the remainder is other things like YouTube, Touch of Modern, Facebook, some expos, a couple things like that. So the reason you did the survey was to understand who your customers were and where they found out about you from. So from this information, uh, is there anything that you can change or do? I think from the survey, what I took, I have never focused on running. I'll focus more on running and on that professional work because there's a bigger chunk of that than I would have guessed otherwise. And then also word of mouth. I'm going to try to see if I can promote more people to use that word of mouth and tell friends, tell family. I mean, so many people are hearing about it through word of mouth. So, I mean, that's kind of what I took from the survey overall. Dude, hell yeah. That's great. What else has been going on? Another thing that I feel like was really great with this, I had this very strange aversion to wholesale. And we talked at the very end of our conversation last time. We said, you know, there's something about this wholesale thing. Maybe you should think about it. And so I kind of thought back as to why I had this aversion to wholesale. And I think it went back to this conversation that took place years ago. And I just decided to kind of relook at that. So what I did is I went back through every potential wholesale email opportunity that I had over the last three years. And I reached out to everyone that I could find and just said, hey, I know at one time we talked and I was really hesitant and averse to this for whatever reason, but we have this new light. I'd love to send you one, see what you think. And off the top of my head, what I've got written down here, of the 15 people that I sent lights to, nine of those people put a thousand plus order in. What? So a, an order of a thousand dollars. Yeah. No way. I'm serious, which was just shocking to me. So that was huge. And that was just me reaching out to people that had either reached out to me earlier, or maybe they were already customers that I hadn't followed up with because I've never really done a follow up. Because again, I had this weird aversion to wholesale for whatever reason. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I just decided to kind of change that mentality and I needed to change that. And yeah, so I had a really great couple of weeks. Hold on. So first off, dope. You're the man. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of your wife and your family. I know you said she was supportive of you and you being and holding you accountable. Totally. Uh, yeah. But I've got to know, why do you am and why do you hate money? I think that's what Taylor and the audience <laughs> is wondering. It's like you hate money. Psychological issues, man. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And we went into this a little bit in the last conversation that almost there's this weird self-sabotage at some place that takes place in my mind. And I don't know why. Or anyway, honestly, that last conversation really got to maybe bumped me over a mental hump that I've been facing. And it pushed me to just face why in the world have I not been more aggressive and assertive towards some of these opportunities that have been right in front of me. And I took that and it was hugely beneficial. So I don't know, finding the root as to why I don't know, man, that's a that's a lot of therapy, I'm sure. No, but good on you. I mean, I think there's things that are principle. Hey, we never discount or we never are going to do this one thing. And that's great. 
I think more businesses need to have things like, hey, we don't substitute our ingredients. Like we won't let Noah have just egg whites. But I do think on the other side, if it's not like a core foundational principle, it's good to kind of revisit things that we've said no to. Like a lot of companies do this, this stage. We've never done ads. We never will. Like, okay, then you hate doing what 99% of every Fortune 500 company and what most businesses do. Maybe that'll work for some, but there's a reason that everyone else is doing it. Not to say that we should always follow. So I'm really glad you went back and revisited that. No, I mean, that was huge. I think a big part of this, again, tying it into one more piece of this was just vision. This is a very minimal, kind of ridiculous thing that I hadn't been doing that you talked a lot about. And again, had a big impact on my last couple of weeks is just writing everything down at the beginning of the week, right? Like an agenda of this is what is going to happen this week. So I have a direction of vision. And I think that vision is kind of what I've been lacking. I've been kind of like coasting along. It's been doing decent and I'm happy with that. And I'm just kind of riding it out. I'm not moving forward on anything, but I'm not pulling back. I'm just kind of riding this steady, gradual, mediocre ways. So to change and just having written things down at the beginning of every week, planning it out, kind of establishing a vision of like, this is what it's going to look like. This is where I want to go. This week is going to lead to this, to this, to this, to that annual vision of goals and what I want to accomplish. I mean, it's changed a lot of that. And I think it's triggered and allowed for me to be more assertive and aggressive on some of these opportunities with wholesale, reaching out to, and I can talk about this a little bit, but the reached out to a bunch of different like YouTube influencers or. Dude, super proud of you, man. So it sounds like the main highlights were really just being a little bit more disciplined and starting to treat this more professionally around the business. Did You you said you got a thousand orders times nine people. I'm sorry, I didn't say that very well. So of those nine orders, they were all a thousand dollars plus because they're wholesale orders, right? So the minimum wholesale is 1200 bucks. So each of them was $1,200 or more. Dude, that's bonkers. So you, you did over $9,000? Probably a little bit more than that. It was closer to probably eleven or twelve thousand. Dude, that is crazy talk. Yeah, I mean it was great. And then on top of that, I ended up putting an event together with Touch of Modern, which is like a flash sell yeah, site. I don't know if you're it. familiar with. And I have done stuff with them in the past. So I again reached out. We did some stuff on Touch of Modern. And the Touch of Modern sell is a week-long sell and it did just under five thousand on top of those other ones. So Dude, so you had a bomb month. You're in a you're in a good mood. Yeah, I mean it was a really great month. I'm in a great mood. Hell yeah. So what's the plan that things that you're going to do to continue to keep this growth going? So one of the things I did not do was ask some of these wholesalers, some of these shops about other people that they know in the industry that may be interested. So referrals, essentially. And we talked about that. So that's one of the things I am going to do now is just reach out to these different running stores or whatever and ask them for other people that may be interested, that may benefit from the product in their store. And I'm going to try just some cold contact as well outside of that. I know is inherently not as effective, but I'll continue to reach out to the the influencer world to see if I can connect with some. I did connect with a couple. I mean, that's another challenging thing because they get bombarded by products and people, you know, trying to get them to look at their products. But I'll continue to do that. And obviously, I'll continue to focus on sales directly. My Amazon store is up and running finally. And so that's been good. I've had a pretty decent last few weeks with that. But I think I'm going to really push and focus on this wholesale. So how do you do more wholesale? For me, what I don't like is like, hey, this wholesale is working. Let me go do something else. (laughs) And you should do whatever you want. But I I think that's what I'm wondering, which is like, all right, how do we double down on what's working, which if you believe it's wholesale, which frankly, like these 
knockoff brands aren't ever going to do. And you could give them similar pricing to what they would be able to do. No, that's true. No, I mean, that's a, see, sometimes I feel like it is exactly that, that I just need to be told, like our last conversation. Uh, dude, I need to be told all the time. That's why I have a great girlfriend. We all have different mentors or people in our lives that assist us. So I could definitely appreciate that. Yeah. So it sounds like these deal sites work. Go try to get more deal sites like Groupon, Huckberry, and so forth. There's a bunch of these other deal products. The other thing is, how do you double or triple down on the wholesale? The only thing I would say, if anything you want to experiment, it's potentially making your site, getting it off of whatever, like uh, GeoCities or whatever you're on. I mean, things like that I do feel like is something that I definitely need to focus on. I do need to look at more wholesale. I think you're absolutely right on all that stuff, though. I think people start and focus on the website when they don't have any sales and they spend too much time on it. The website's purpose is to leverage the business. It's so you can leverage that a thing works around the clock and certain platforms like Shopify or Big Commerce, they have a lot of apps and other things that'll assist you that can help you grow your business without having you to do extra. So I wonder if it's also maybe a little bit of time to move off of Weebly and upgrade to a Shopify. Yeah, totally in my plans, actually. And I was going to bring that up in a minute. So I, I could not agree more with you. Yes, I've already initiated the process to make that change. So yes, I could not agree more. To make it more automated, essentially, or, or more um, systematic, no question. I agree. Okay, so what are the main next steps, just so we're on the same page? Okay, so the big next steps, I mean, the initial steps are to request referrals from the existing wholesalers to move to Shopify, the website, and then to reach out to other deal sites like Huckberry, like you know Touch of Modern was, and those are probably my big ones as of right now. Yeah, I think people are like, I got to do a lot of things. I think you just got to pick a few things that work and do them well. You know, I think there's something with running that you can then go do a lot of running influencers. I think you can do a lot of things on running blogs, running review sites. But I think there's still low hanging fruit, like improving your site, getting your email marketing going, doing more wholesale, doing more deal sites that frankly, you could double or triple towards your easily get towards your goal with you know executing on that alone. Yeah, I agree. Dude, I'm so pumped for you, man. I love that you're doing that. Anything you didn't do or that did not work? I mean, I think the biggest frustration I had with the whole process is kind of the reaching out 15, 20 minutes every day. And I would try to kind of scour through YouTube and things like this and reaches out to him through Instagram, look for running and hiking and specific YouTube channels that focused on those areas in the 30,000 subscriber range or a little bit less. And just I tried varying forms of email subject lines. I tried emailing them and reaching out through Instagram if they had Instagram. I think I got contacted back by three out of 20 to 25-ish people that I reached out to. So one of them is doing a review and I sent the product to the other person that reached out or contacted me back, hasn't really gotten back to me after initially replying. So I mean, that was frustrating, but I mean, it's just what it is. I know they're being, like I said, overloaded with information and product. It's challenging with influencers because they're getting contacted a lot and it's becoming more and more mainstream. So one, I do think it's a long-term game. So it's about, hey, I really love what you're doing. I want to just send you a free thing. No strings attached. Let me just build a relationship with you. And two, it's also just being persistent. Like I'll tell you for myself with certain businesses I want to help out with different things where our company's doing, it's not one email. You know, I think some people think, oh, if Noah emails, they respond. And that's almost never the case. It's more that I'm annoying as shit and I bug the hell out of people, just like my mom bugs the hell out of me. <laughs> it's more if I really believe what I can offer or want to share with them is helpful, which I think you think about that with your product. Absolutely. There should almost be no limit. I've had times, no joke, with previous businesses and even current where I've hit up people for between six to 12 months before they finally come around. 
And so if you really think about it, I think the influencer for you is definitely a direct, oh, hey, here's a product. You like it. Tell your people. I'll give you a cut of it. It makes total sense for you to do. Yeah. The thing that I think with the influencer, I think there's 80-20, which is 80% for you is your website, wholesale, deal sites. And the 20% is this influencer thing or cold stuff. But that's the 20% where you should spend Fridays. But Monday through Thursday needs to be the 80% that we know works. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Coming back, one thing that we talked about is that what was your goal for the year? That was one thing I I kind of identify that a lot of people can improve on. So what is your goal for the year and how are we doing towards that? 400,000. This month was definitely a, a huge step in the right direction. If I could repeat what was done this month and then have a really solid holiday, November, December, in the past have done, I don't think there's any question I'll be able to reach that 400. Awesome. So I don't like waiting till Christmas or Hanukkah. So my thought is like, how do you build up your mailing list? How do you build up wholesale? How do you build up these things? So by the time December comes around, you've already beaten your goal. And I think that's what I would try to plan for. So I believe the best opportunity, again, is going to be with this wholesale because the primary sales that take place during the end of November in December are going to be individual gift purchases, right? So that's not going to be the wholesale per se. I mean, again, focusing back on that wholesale, I think that's where it's going to happen to beat that. Yeah. My encouragement is try to get it going now and get your goal accomplished sooner. Generally, what I've identified with goals personally is you want to hit your goal almost when you said you would, which means you've actually calibrated correctly. If it's a lot sooner, you're screwed. If it's a lot later, you could be screwed. Not screwed if it's sooner. And so it's really trying to make sure that you're on track for that. And so for you, though, I would say, all right, Christmas should be in November. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like that. Well, dude, good on you, man. Keep going with the stuff you're doing. Awesome product, 180 light. No more knockoffs. I hate them. Anyone who knocks off people's products or doesn't innovate from that. Yeah, dude, I'm rooting for you, man. I I love what you're doing and uh, I look forward to hearing more about it. Uh, I appreciate it, Noah. Thanks so much. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, go check out museumhack.com. 180 light that's o-n-e-8-0-l-i-g-h-t dot com and you stay next text a friend you love them yo dog let's go jump roping together before you go let me know what you thought of the episode by leaving me an email at podcast at okdork.com i read every other word that you send me also remember if you or a friend has a shopify store email me shopify at okdork.com i'm 99.9 positive i can help you at no cost to grow your email marketing, holler at your rabbi, Shopify at okdork.com. And final special, special plug, you know who it is, Jason at podcasttech.com. As always, for making these shows dope as F. And thank you to Sean, Dean, and David at the Dork Team. You guys are my lifeline. And a special shout out to my boy Chad at Sumo Grip this week. Just wanted to let you know I love you day one. What's your favorite thing about yourself?